welcome to the 101st installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore of the Land Stewardship Project. This podcast is the fourth in a series of five programs featuring a March 24, 2011 presentation given in Creighton, Nebraska by Don Huber, a Purdue University Emeritus Professor of Plant Pathology. Huber's presentation describes his concerns about the long-term problems associated with the use of the popular Monsanto herbicide Roundup. In this episode, Huber describes how farmers can recognize that their crop fields have been damaged by the overuse of glyphosate, the main component of Roundup. He also discusses how the abuse of this valuable crop production tool has threatened to make it a hindrance to good farming. How do we recognize the symptoms of glyphosate injury? I've had people that have worked on glyphosate for uh, their entire career, 25 or 30 years, make the comment. They've never seen an injury to a plant by glyphosate. Didn't kill the plant. Well, they're looking at the herbicidal activity of it. Glyphosate's a growth regulator. These are the symptoms at the University of Hawaii and Connecticut, University of Connecticut, Ohio State University list as damage from glyphosate. You don't see killing the plant in any of those because it won't kill a plant. It only predisposes it to those pathogens. This is one of the most common symptoms of glyphosate injury because it changes that hormonal balance and hormonal physiology that comes through the shikimate pathway. Bud and fruit abortion. Soybean plant will produce 8 to 12 buds at each node. How many do you harvest? If you're producing 60 bushel, you're probably harvesting 3 with about 3 beans. If you want to produce 159 bushel like the grower in Georgia did, you ought to harvest seven to eight of them. He says, I want the other four. Doesn't cost me anything to grow the other four if I've already grown the first four. I want the full potential. I've got all my investment up front. How many are you harvesting? Stunning, slow growth, slow, low vigor, induced abiotic diseases, increased drought stress, winter kills, sun scald, bark cracking. Hannah Mathers, Ohio State University, says that glyphosate injury on their perennial crops from uh, ground cover control underneath their ornamentals costs them $6.5 million a year from bark cracking or sun scald because you don't have that lignification and secondary cell wall that give you resistance to those environmental stressors. You also have increased susceptibility to those diseases, to insect damage. On potatoes, very sensitive to uh, glyphosate injury, actually at levels that are half the level for detection with our techniques now that you can eliminate uh, viability of potato seed pieces. Got million dollars, millions of dollars in lawsuits in the last two years in Canada and Idaho, Oregon, and Minnesota because of that effect. Some of it from drift, assumed drift, some of it from soil residual uptake from a previous Roundup Ready crop. Doesn't take very much for a lot of those crops. Well, what's glyphosate injury look like? See a plant here? Planted the day after the glyphosate application. Label says, safe to apply any time before emergence. What do you see? Oh, and I used to go out in the field, and I'd see a, something like that, and I'd say, shoot, that's easy to explain. We had a dry seed bed, erratic emergence. It was cold, or it was wet. Too much residue on the surface. 
Well, what do you really see? You see a leaf tip die back. Closes below it. Go to the textbook and you say, what's copper deficiency look like? There you go. Now, later on, you'll see anther sterility, pollen sterility, gray leaf, manganese deficiency, rolling leaf, zinc deficiency, general chlorosis, iron deficiency, nitrogen deficiency. The symptoms are there. I have a problem. I get tunnel vision. I'm not looking for it, and so I don't recognize it. But the symptoms are all there in that area. What happens when you plant right after your glyphosate? Poor stand, you may eventually get a full stand. Erratic emergence. You still have some of that glyphosate that hasn't been chelated and immobilized. Wait a couple of weeks, you see quite a difference once that glyphosate is fully chelated so that it's not active in the soil for the, those young seedling roots to take it up. What happens on the long term? And I hear this all the time. Growers say, Crops just aren't as vigorous as they used to be. Seem to get the stand finally, but I don't get the vigor out of them. Our breeders haven't done a good job. They're kind of letting us down. It's not the breeders. We've got a lot of residual glyphosate in some of these soils. We're seeing that effect then as some of that's desorbed. Very low rates can have a big effect. You know, probably none of you here are growing onions, but uh, our growers and the Parma and this Oregon, that area where we pride ourselves in size of our onions and quality, they keep saying, uh, just like our potato growers, we can't get bulking anymore. Get a good stand, but we can't get the size. Can't get that size over 10 ounces that uh, they want because that's where their profit is. This grower went out, followed the label, planted his onions, got out, sprayed his glyphosate out for weed control, does a great job. Well, the sprayer broke at this point, took it back into the shop, fiddle around because the sun always shines, so if you don't get out finished today, then we had three days of rain for us. Very unusual on the high desert soils there in western Idaho. And he was afraid to go out with that shallow seeded onion for fear that he might have some germination and damage his crop with the glyphosate. He wanted to keep within label, so he didn't put any herbicide out. And you can see here, six weeks later, what do you see? Kind of a gray-green, typical manganese and zinc deficiency. Compare that with that bright green you see over here and the, the onions. And when we dug some of those, not quite a 50% reduction in mass, but you don't sell onions on the basis of, size, of mass or weight. You sell it on the basis of size. And so he has an 80% reduction in marketable bulbs by just following the label. And we're seeing that on a rather consistent basis. Again, the same thing on potatoes. I didn't put that in here, but uh, you can sort out and you can tell on your potato on the basis of what your, your uh, sort out is, over 10 ounces, how much glyphosate they, they've used the previous three years. And well, they had a Roundup Ready crop before because it has a very dramatic effect on that sizing of, of uh, bulking of your potatoes. Again, one of the typical symptoms of glyphosate injury is bowl drop or bud drop, fruit drop. It's cotton. You see over here where the glyphosate was put out? All those lower bowls have dropped, and they're sitting on the ground. Well, that's all profit. 
Ronnie Phillips' work, that's 50% of your crop can be sitting on the ground. What he found was that if it'd go out about 10 days later with some manganese and zinc, you can hold those buds because you can compensate for that loss of or change in the hormonal system. You can get it going again. Beef it back up and you can keep those bowls for yield and get your yields back up so that you can see the difference. You know it's glyphosate because you get that parrot beaking effect on those bowls that are doing the injury. This typical symptom of of uh, nickel deficiency, typical, typical symptom of glyphosate injury. Coffee and blueberries and pecans and almonds is that kind of small mouse ear type of a leaf. Bruce Wood finds that if he goes out there with nickel, applies it before bud break, he can get this kind of an effect. The other thing he finds that if he'll put it around the base of the tree, that area at the base of a tree about 18 inches above the soil line, is an extremely active absorbing area for micronutrients and for glyphosate. And he can get the same results by putting it around the base of the tree and getting trunk adsorption as you get with foliar adsorption. Because on a tree, it's not just dead tissue. Well, when you control the weeds under the tree, how many are careful to make sure that you avoid the trunk? That's what Hannah Mather says. Everybody assumes that it's dead tissue, all barked off all sealed off. That bottom area of it's very absorptive, but you can compensate for it. And so what do we do? How do we use the technology? How do we minimize the impacts and how do we keep in business? Some of those things, I, first one is to provide the nutrient availability to meet the yield and quality potential of that crop. To do that, you're gonna have to compensate for the reduced efficiency of the gene and then the reduced efficiency of the chemistry. Jim Cambriotto at Purdue stated in one of his bulletins this last summer, said they're seeing deficiency symptoms at twice the levels they used to consider sufficient. You need to compensate for that reduced efficiency if you're going to be able to capitalize on the genetic potential of those crops that we're growing. You need to be able to detoxify the residual glyphosate in those shoot tips and root tips and, and uh, reproductive structures in your legume nodules. What Ronnie Phillips found is if he had a little zinc with his manganese, even though his cotton showed full zinc sufficiency, if it put a little zinc with it, it's more mobile than the manganese, would move into those meristematic tissues and detoxify the glyphosate better than if he had just manganese alone. You need to look at that restoring the soil microbial activity. Mentioned uh, Ellsworth Christmas, experience there with legume nodules. We're not able to keep nitrification uh, functional in a lot of our soils where we've continued to use glyphosate for a, large, a long time. So we need to address that, make sure that we have that potential. If you're gonna grow Roundup Ready alfalfa, make sure that you inoculate. Make sure that you check that, or at least make sure that you've got those nodules farming you've got it in your soil. You're going to have to check it often because glyphosate is very toxic to your nitrosomonas and your nitrobacter. And it's a root exudate, not only moving down to be accumulating in those root nodules and toxic, but it's also going to move out into the soil to limit the residual survival of those organisms in the soil from year to year. We need to really have a much more judicious use of glyphosate and a very powerful tool for us. 
the most abused chemical we've ever had in agriculture. We can talk about atrazine or we can talk about anything else or DDT. They pale in the concept of what we've done, what, how we've used glyphosate. Told to use it on everything you have, including your concrete sidewalk or driveway. Get it at the grocery store or anywhere else. A powerful tool, also easy to abuse, and we've had a lot of abuse. We need to recognize what those side effects are. And you can see if we do, we can get a good response. Here's some different studies of soybean. You can see if we address that manganese need and get the sufficiency levels up for the crop, you can see that we can have very excellent yield response. Ernie Gordon's work in Kansas showed that this was on his very fertile soils, showed that it still took two and a half pounds or up to five pounds of manganese on his Roundup Ready soybeans to get the same yield that he had with his normal parent for that uh, uh, isogenic Roundup Ready one. This one with iron is an interesting one. That's in Minnesota, high pH soil. Recognize that you had lime-induced chlorosis so that uh, our years they just gone out with a seed treatment for their soybeans. Just kind of a standard practice to compensate for that low iron availability in the soil. And very excellent response. Your 23 bushel yield response just for the very simple, probably two and a half, three dollar seed treatment, maybe even less than that. To give you 26 or 23 bushel yield increase. Pretty important that you meet the sufficiency needs of the plant and it'll return the favor for you. When they put out glyphosate, you can see that they just knocked the soup out of it because glyphosate's a strong chelator for iron, a thousand times or so more than for manganese even. Really put it into a iron stress. You add the iron, iron seed treatment with the glyphosate, greened it up a lot, probably looked as good as the non-iron treatment, their control treatment, but you have a lot of hidden hunger. So at their yield response, yeah, it was 11 bushel. Well, look what it was in relationship to the non-glyphosate treated one. What they didn't recognize probably, or from my research, when you have an iron deficiency, you quite often also have a manganese deficiency. Manganese doesn't show the deficiency as uh, dramatically as iron does, and so we tend to overlook it. In the western states, we find that Quite often we can green it up, and if it's an ornamental, that's fine. If it's a crop, we also need manganese. And if we're going to get the yield, I think that's the same thing here. If that also had manganese with their iron, that would probably seen a 56 or maybe a 65 or 70 bushel yield because they haven't recognized that they also have a manganese deficiency that's dragging that yield down. Corn, the same thing. If we recognize that we, what our objective is is to meet the nutrient sufficiency of that plant, then we can compensate, and you can see the response here. Now, you can also see the effect of glyphosate here in Mike Bartolo's uh, research. This is hand-weeded, so you can see the yield drag or the chemical uh, drag effect on that plant if you don't have any weed competition. And we know that's typical of most of our chemicals. We're looking at a cost-benefit relationship. They can all have a little more stress or a little more drag on the plant, but hopefully the benefit's going to be 
much greater than the, than the drag. And you see that here. See if they get their zinc and manganese level up, get a very ex excellent response. 26 bushel there with just a little bit of manganese and zinc foliar treatment. They did down here, they also recognize there may be some iron boron deficiency from their tissue tests and soil tests. So they cut the rate of manganese and zinc in half so that they could have an equal cost to what they had with their foliar treatment up here and failed to get the manganese and zinc levels up to full sufficiency. Certainly hadn't had an effect and got a response there, but they fell short of what the genetic potential of that crop was because they were short of the sufficiency. See over here at North Dakota State University, they, with their zinc. You see here with just a zinc seed treatment or foliar applied zinc, good response. You see with the foliar applied manganese and zinc, very excellent, or seed and foliar uh, zinc, very excellent response. You're compensating for that inefficiency in the plant, unavailability in the soil, and getting that plant up so you can capitalize on the genetic potential of that factory that you're growing to store that sun's energy. Some of our growers have said, well, what alternatives do I have? What else is there that I can use? I don't, I've never used anything except glyphosate for some of our younger producers. This is a study that was done in Indiana by one of the seed companies. And they were asked that question and they had growers in the Illinois, Indiana, uh, Ohio, and Iowa area that's kind of their market area that were using alternative uh, weed control to glyphosate and having very successful results with it. And so they took those programs and they wanted to compare them with a typical Roundup Ready glyphosate program. All of these hybrids have the Roundup Ready gene in it, and then some of them are also some of the other stacked uh, genes that are included in them. They compared them then with those six herbicide programs that they're uh, growers in their market area were using, seeming to have pretty good success. You can see here the two sulfonylureas, and these went out at the V6 stage, so we've known for a long time that's too late to put out the sulfonylureas because they can be fairly damaging on corn. A lot of yield drag there, and going out at that later stage, they're not as good as the glyphosate, or certainly statistically not any better or not any worse from a statistical standpoint than some of those. But then you look, you have four choices up here that all of them would be in a relationship to give you a higher yield. Now if you look at this one with a sure start, with just the Roundup Ready uh, gene up here, and you see the 44 bushel yield increase by just selection of your herbicide. Even though you might have 10 or 12% reduction in yield potential by having the gene present, that's 44 a bushel. May cost you another $15 a bushel for your herbicide because glyphosate's so cheap. We'll do a lot of things for 44 a bushel if we recognize what the response is. And that's what they were trying to show. And you see that response with any of those four. These are the times that they went out in their herbicide program. There's some alternatives. There are also alternatives for soybeans. Actually, there are more alternatives probably for soybeans than there are uh, active for corn. Mentioned the effect of, or the ability to 
offset that 50% reduction in cotton, uh, in the Roundup Ready cotton, by getting your manganese and zinc up, getting it out 10 days after each glyphosate application, and you can see here's the effect of the glyphosate alone, dropping all those bottom bowls, and here's the effect when you can get your manganese and zinc levels up. If you're putting out glyphosate two or three times, you also got to put your have to put your micronutrient out. After that, and if you're putting it out three times, it may take five times for your micronutrient to compensate for that accumulating glyphosate in those tissues. But you can do it. Had an eight-year study in Brazil with Shiyoshi Yamada. It's on CVC. It's a bacterial disease of citrus. It's on our threat pathogens list, select agents list. We don't want it. We don't need it. Greening a uh, little more serious, and we're now having to fight that one, just, uh, hoping to stay in, in business. A disease here that we knew one of the first symptoms is going to be severe manganese and zinc deficiency. This is xylem limited bacterium, the same organism, causes Pierce's disease on grape, almond scorch or peach scorch, but this particular strain is on citrus, and so we have it on our select agents list. If I wanted to work on it in the states here without uh, being registered with the FBI and everything, and I was caught, it would cost me uh, free room and board, Leavenworth, and a quarter of a million dollar fine. It's easier to work on it in Brazil. Air ticket isn't that expensive. Free room and board isn't that uh, much benefit either at Leavenworth. Anyway, we worked on this, the outcome of this disease. If you let it go in about eight years, that's what you have. You have a bunch of skeletons. It can be a very devastating disease. I'm not convinced that we don't have this disease already in Florida. We don't call it a CDC. We call it citrus blight of unknown etiology. But it costs 290,000 trees a year in Florida. All the symptoms of glyphosate. But we can work on it. But the only control that we could find in Brazil was to remove the glyphosate and go to an alternative weed control program. We're looking at manganese and zinc sufficiency. So we went back to some of that research that I'd done in, in 1950, late 50s, looking at the effect of different crop sequences on nitrification, trying to understand why crop rotation gave us an effect on bean root rot and on verticillium and some of those diseases. We went back and we said, We've got to have a crop that will inhibit nitrification. Grows good, and so all of your climax ecosystem crops, whether it's a, a hardwood tree or a conifer or a prairie grass, all of them inhibit nitrification. Brachiaria grass, common grass in those areas of Brazil, also have it in Florida, and grows very well. We fertilize it, mulch it under the tree twice a year, get very excellent weed control, and we don't have to add any more fertilizer because we can get everything as that grass decomposes. It'll release those nutrients and feed the tree. In a year, we were back to full sufficiency. In three years, we were back into 110% of the yield that they had before the disease was introduced. Full control of the disease, not necessarily eliminating it from the the xylem, but it's not doing any damage. Our increased yield was because we found we also control phytophthora crown rot. We hadn't anticipated that. But sometimes we may need an alternative weed control. 
We used to say, rotate your herbicides, just like we used to say, rotate your crop. We may need to, need to move in some of our situations. Some other things we can do. Uh, slides that uh, Joe Nestor loaned to me, told me I could use. Had a grower, had eight years of his field, was in a conservation reserve program. Nothing done to it. Wanted to get it back into crop production. Put two quarts of glyphosate on it to burn it out in uh, fall of 2008. Planted Roundup Ready corn, used a quarter glyphosate in 2009. In the fall of 2009, said, well, this has been sitting there for a long time and I need to open it up a little bit. Kind of get some uh, relief in that stratification and some of those things in the soil. And so he went out with his chisel, but it was wet fall. Said he finally pulled out of the field, chiseled a bunch of it. Pulled out of the field because he said all he could see was that he was just stirring the mud up a little bit, probably doing more damage from compaction than he was good. Planted it all to uh, soybeans. Surprised him when he had 20 bushel higher yield on the soybeans uh, where he had had that fall chiseling. Well, from the IPM plots at Purdue, that 25-year study, fall chiseling will give you twice the manganese because you stir those organisms up, and it'll give you that available manganese later on in the, ne or the next year, because over winter it'll settle down and you'll have the anaerobic sites for reduction. If you do it in the spring, you don't get that benefit. But a fall chiseling gives it to us, and that's what he saw. And you see the effect of that manganese and aeration of the soil. Even though it was wet, you see it on nodulation. 20 bushel yield response. In that situation, there are other things we can do. Weed resistance becoming a problem for us as far as uh, maintaining the viability of the tool even as an herbicide. You see that starts out with a few resistant weeds. I think, Howard, this is what it looked like last spring after glyphosate had been applied to it. We've lost the tool because we've abused it. Not that we can't still use it in certain situations. Again, I mentioned we're seeing that increased disease. And a lot of our alternative are our other crops in the rotation because we're producing super pathogens. We're changing the soil biology that also makes it easier for those pathogens or more conducive for them than to affect those plants. <laughs>